Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 264th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! They're on way to win it! Worthy five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot, short rebounded. May, it's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national gadgum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Just Josh here with you guys for today as... We're getting closer and closer to the start of the 2023-2024 college basketball season. And with that, it's time to bring on one of our favorite guests that we talk to every year during the college basketball season, that being Brendan Marks, a very prominent reporter in the college basketball community covering Carolina and Duke basketball for The Athletic. And Brendan joined me uh, to talk about the upcoming season for the Tar Heels, including talking about the job security of Hubert Davis, what's in store for Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis, and defining success for Carolina basketball for the upcoming season. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with the esteemed Brendan Marks. I am now joined by Brendan Marks great college basketball reporter for The Athletic covering the Tar Heels, and he covers Duke, although on this podcast we don't like to talk about that all too much. Brendan, good afternoon, man. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you coming on, as always. You're one of my favorite guys to talk to before the season, during the season, and after. And, um, you know, you you had a lot of you know great reporting last year during – a disappointing season um, for Carolina basketball. One, you had an article that really detailed what went wrong for the Tar Heels after they missed the NCAA tournament, skipped the NIT as Schubert Davis opted to rebuild his program via the transfer portal. What did you learn about the head coach of the Tar Heels during his second season? Yeah, you know, I think uh, we probably didn't give Hubert Davis enough credit for the turnaround that he engineered 
at the back half of his first season. Uh, and obviously, you know, he was saying at nauseum last season, it's a different year, it's a different team, it's a different year, it's a different team. And I know he was saying that at the beginning of the year, but I really started to, to sense how real that was becoming to him over the course of last year. I think he did realize just how variable he's going to have to be, how malleable he's going to have to be to fit what he wants to do offensively and defensively to the pieces he has versus necessarily just trying to, you know, for lack of a better term, put a square peg in a round hole. So I, I think that Hubert has matured as a coach. I think that he's learned as a coach. I think what he did in the transfer portal, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but I think what he did in the transfer portal shows that he was, you know, honest, uh, perhaps brutally honest about what he needed to do in terms of self-scouting. Um, but all in all, I think this is sort of a really interesting year for Hubert Davis coming up. We've seen the best, we've seen the worst, um, but I think he's learned a lot in two seasons, probably you know, not as smoothly as North Carolina fans would have liked, um, but I think he's in a better place for it and for having gone through some of the struggles last season. Is it fair to say, Brendan, after starting preseason number one and missing the NCAA tournament, that he is on the hot seat during this year because the last Carolina basketball coach to miss back-to-back NCAA tournaments – he wasn't retained for a fourth season. I don't think it's fair to say that he is on the hot seat, um, and I think that's just because you have to you have to consider the circumstances under which he got the job. So uh, he gets the job in April. You've only got so much time to sort of recruit and rebuild your roster, and so for most of the last two seasons, who is Hubert Davis from working with? Not necessarily the large group of guys who he himself may have handpicked. I mean, we we, we have said this multiple times. A lot of these guys, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Leaky Black, Armando Baycott, they were Roy Williams players. So they were the holdovers. So I think that because of that, you have to give him more time. And that's why this season is so important, because now in the transfer portal, in the high school recruiting ranks, we have had a few cycles where we've gotten to see the types of players, the types of people that Hubert Davis goes after. So I certainly think that he is on high alert. I think he understands that not making the NCAA tournament another year would put him firmly on the hot seat. Uh, but also I think that you have to, in speaking with people at UNC's administration, in speaking with people close to the program, there's not a sense that this is like a make-or-break year for him whatsoever. Um, of course, if, if there were to be another year like last year, then I think we're talking about a different situation. You mentioned Caleb Love. we got to talk about him. He exits the program, transfers first to Michigan. He ends up in Arizona. A lot of different reporting around his exit. There was a report last week that came out in a meeting with Hubert Davis when asked about his role. Hubert, quote, was was reportedly told him, I don't know. From your perspective, did Carolina handle his exit from the program the proper way, and was it a necessity for the program to move forward? I think the second half of your question is easier to answer than the first. I do think that, you know, via whatever methodology you want, you know, by some means, Caleb Love needed to not be back at North Carolina this season, be it going to the pros, be it transferring, whatever it may be. Um, I think the situation had gotten so toxic with him, with the fan base especially. Um, and listen, like, this is not to absolve Caleb Love of any on-court blame. He was a big reason why North Carolina struggled last season. His shot selection did not improve. His efficiency did not improve. His willingness to pass and include his teammates did not improve. And, and he's got to sort of bear those things. At the same time, I think the fan base got to a point where an outsized portion of the blame was falling on his shoulders. And so, uh, for a number of reasons, I think that it was in both parties' best interest, UNC's and Caleb's, for them to move on. 
as far as how the situation was handled, um, I don't know that there's really a good way to, to go about that. You know, I, every time somebody gets divorced, do we look and say, did they handle it the right way? <laughs> um, these are tough situations. And so, you know, from based on what I've been told about the way that that process unfolded between Caleb and UNC specifically, not speaking about the Michigan part or the Arizona part, I, I don't know that Caleb necessarily received the care that you would have ideally liked to have been able to give someone who delivered what I would consider one of the three greatest shots in program history, the one that he hit in the final four against Duke. Um, But again, I can say that in hindsight, it's obviously different being in the moment and trying to deal with those things. And and like I mentioned, I'm not so sure there is a good way to diverge player and program like that, especially for someone who I think we'll be talking about 10 or 15 years from now is one of the more fascinating UNC legacies of all time. Yeah, no doubt. Now let's let's transition to the team that's going to be on the court. And R.J. Davis, he's back for his senior season. A lot of talk his first three years was how he and Caleb Love either meshed or didn't mesh in the backcourt. We just uh, we just discussed about Caleb Love no longer being with the program. How do you envision R.J.'s game playing out on the court now that we know solely in the backcourt he's the lead guy? Well, I, I wish we could say that he is going to solely be the lead guy. Uh, I think that he's probably going to end up having something of a backcourt split again, obviously not with Caleb, but with Elliot Cadeau, and we'll get into more about Elliot in a second. But um, I am expecting really, really big things from RJ this year. I thought it was completely baffling and made no sense to me why he was not voted to either of the all-ACC preseason teams. Not that those matter, but the, it did give me a, a – an assessment of how the rest of the league views R.J. Davis, and it's clearly that they don't view him as being that guy. I do view him as being that guy. I think that he, if all breaks the right way, can have an All-American type season in North Carolina this year. I think during North Carolina's run to the NCAA tournament, what we saw when Caleb Love was moved to more of an off-ball scoring-focused role and R.J. was playing as a true combo point guard but running the show, his assist numbers grew, his efficiency grew, his defensive improvement was notable. Um so I think we're, we're looking at a season where RJ is going to have more runway to do all those things that contributed to North Carolina's success during that 2022 Final Four run. So I, I have really, really high expectations for RJ. Um, let's not forget, this is a guy who shot like 36% last year from three, and he was doing it with a bum hand and when barely getting the ball. So I, I think that RJ has to be one of North Carolina's two most important players this season, without a doubt. I was going to ask you about him not being named to any all-ACC preseason teams, but you covered that in that answer. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring up Elliot Cadeau right here because this guy comes in, one of the most hyped freshmen we've really ever seen in modern Carolina basketball history. He reclassifies to join the program this season. There's going to come a point in time when him and R.J. Davis are on the floor together. Are they a better – do, do, do you think they fit better together than Davis did with Caleb Love? I think they can. Um, you know, the, the thing is that there are some natural things about playing RJ and Elliot together that's going to be problematic. And the first one is something that neither of them have any control over. It's their size. You know, they're both six foot, six foot one, if we're being generous. Um, that is a natural disadvantage when you're playing against ACC caliber guards and guards that North Carolina hopes to see in March. So they are always going to be at a size disadvantage. How does Hubert Davis manage that? I think that staggering them is one way to do so, but when they're both out there, like they are going to get taken advantage of to some extent. They're going to get hunted by other teams. Um, 
So I, I think that's one reason to be maybe a little pessimistic about their pairing. As far as reasons for optimism, I mean, the offense could be explosive. Um, I've said on basically every radio interview or podcast that I've done so far this preseason, I'm, I'm expecting North Carolina to play a lot of games in the 80s. And mm-hmm. those two guys are a big reason why. Cadeau, it's not with exaggeration that I say this, he is the best passing point guard North Carolina has had without having played a game yet since Kendall Marshall. He is that good. He is that special, that transcendent a passer. His vision is insane. And really, I think that his reintroduction into the team, him and RJ, that's a big reason why we're going to see more Carolina secondary break basketball this year, because these are guys who are going to push the pace. They can both run. So uh, together, you know, Elliot, I think, is probably better on the ball than off the ball right now. Um, RJ, I think, can do either. So, But certainly, in terms of passing, in terms of shooting, in terms of scoring, um, in terms of athleticism, Elliot's an incredible athlete. I don't know if people fully recognize just how good an athlete he is. So I think it's a pairing that can work. I think that there are going to be some hiccups along the way in figuring out when should they be together, when should they be apart, what do you do to hide them defensively when they are together. Uh, but the ceiling here is sky high. And, and, you know, any optimism about UNC's offense has to be rooted in the fact that they've got those two guys in the backcourt. You stated that Elliot Cadeau is the best passer the program has seen since Kendall Marshall. My co-host predicted in our Bolt Predictions uh, podcast that he's going to lead college basketball in assists per game the, uh, the, the in, in his freshman season. Let's talk realistically. What should be our expectations of a, of, of a reclassified freshman coming into play at a pressure-packed ACC program like North Carolina? Yeah, not to, not to demean anyone else's opinion, but um... – you know, I, I'll eat a box score if Elliot Cadeau leads the nation in this. We're, we're going to hold you to that, Brendan, okay? <laughs> that's fine. That's fair. It's, it's you know, I think it's really easy to look at how special a pass he is and sort of draw those lofty conclusions. I don't think they're fair to the kid. That's not the role he's going to have on this team. He is not the singular focal point. You know, you've got R.J. Davis, who is going to get his shots. You've got R.J. Davis, who's going to have the ball in his hands. You've got Cormac Ryan who's going to have the ball in his hands. Harrison Ingram is going to have the ball in his hands as a point forward. Obviously, Armando Baycott is going to see plenty of touches where he's just operating by himself on the low post. Like, there are absolutely going to be opportunities for Elliott, but, you know, quite frankly, one of the things that's been kind of frustrating for me this preseason is hearing some of these ridiculous expectations for him. Um, He's a great player. He's a really good player, but he is not a perfect player. There are some real defensive deficiencies there. you know, for as good a passer as he is, I do think that he has a time to, he has a tendency to let the ball stick at times where it's not moving the offense and he's waiting for some of those passing lanes to emerge. So, like, I'm expecting Elliot Cadeau. I don't think people should be surprised if he doesn't start from game one or start every game this year. I don't expect him to. Um, I do think the expectation for him should be that. By the end of the season, he is a slam dunk, no doubt, member of North Carolina's closing lineups. That Hubert Davis has figured out a way to play him and RJ together defensively. Um, and, and I think that, listen, he's going to challenge for still, even just doing that, even being the fourth or fifth or sixth leading scorer on this team, he can still be the ACC freshman of the year. He can still earn honors and accolades like that. But I think all of the hype has gotten a little out of control in terms of Elliot Cadeau, not because of him, but because of the larger circumstance that he's in. This is a, a true team. Huber Davis saw last year what happens when you don't have ball moves. Like, this is a team that's really going to be selfless and, and is going to look a lot different than it has the last two seasons. 
We're talking with Brendan Marks. He covers Carolina basketball for The Athletic. You mentioned Armando Baycott. He's back for his super senior season. I think you jokingly asked uh, Hubert Davis, this is the last time we're going to see him at North Carolina, which got a chuckle out of the head coach in a preseason press conference. Last year, we were talking a lot about national championship stuff uh, for his legacy. Outside of winning a national title, how can he further his legacy as a Tar Heel? I don't know if people recognize this for because Armando's been around forever and he does have all these records, right? He's got the the UNC rebounding record, he's got the double double record, he's got the only player in the history of NCAA tournaments to have six double doubles in a single postseason. Um, so he has all these crazy accolades, but he has yet to satisfy the conditions to get his jersey hung in the Smith Center Rafters. To do that, he's going to have to win either ACC Player of the Year this year, he's going to have to be a first or a second team All-American, or he's going to have to be the most outstanding player in the national championship team. And so I think in terms of legacy, which is something that Armando is incredibly aware of and incredibly you know, astutely focused on this season, I think that going out and, and sort of getting back to what he did two years ago, I think that's part of it. But really it is about, at the end of the day, even if he doesn't hang – a national championship banner it's about being able to have his own jersey up there so i'm expecting big things out of him this year um shocker (laughs) i think he's you know an all-american type guy the thing that i'm really interested in because i think he's somewhat of a relatively finished product offensively um the fact that he's lost weight the fact that he's healthier the fact that it seems like he has better movement ability right now I'm interested to see what Hubert Davis does with him defense. Can he cover more ground and drop coverage? Can he be more of an asset there? Can he provide some real rim protection? I think doing all those things would go a long way towards helping him achieve one of the accolades that's necessary to get his jersey in the Raptors. Harrison Ingram was the most coveted transfer of all the transfers Carolina brought in. Hubert Davis took his entire staff to Texas to really solidify his uh, to, to, to solidify his recruitment back during the summer. Is all the hype around him, is it justified from what you've seen from a live-action scrimmage, a public exhibition, and just what you've been told from what's being uh, on the practice court so far? You know, I, I think Harrison is going to have, you know, I know I'm saying this a lot, but he's going to have an integral role in this team. Um, you know, the past two years when Hubert Davis has pulled front court starters out of the transfer portal, first Brady Manick, then Pete Nance, both ends of the spectrum, obviously, Um you know, it has really been for a conventional four-man, somebody who could play with his back to the basket if needed, somebody who's going to get rebounds. Um, you know, somebody. It, it was a very specific type of player, and Harrison Ingram is a different type of player. He's a guy who can play with the ball in his hands. He can create offense much better than either Pete Nance or Brady Manick. Um, he is going to be a point forward. You know, he's going to be slashing. He's going to be slashing and then kicking. He's going to be serving as a hub for dribble handoffs. Um, he is going to be a really focal point of this offense, even if he is not necessarily the guy scoring the ball, although I am expecting him to do plenty of that too. You know, he's a, he's a more of a hybrid 3-4 than just a true 4. So I, I feel like the hype around some of these guys, around Elliott, around Harrison, has been kind of outsized. But, you know, to me, Harrison is really going to be the connective tissue for UNC this year. That's on the offensive end for what I just mentioned, the scoring, the facilitating, the creation, the ball handling. But also defensively, you're, you're talking about a team that doesn't necessarily have a ton of perimeter size. You know, his ability to slide between the three and the four to guard front court players and perimeter guys, I, I think is hugely, hugely important. Like North Carolina losing Leaky Black is not an easy defensive 
thing to replace. And I think that a lot of that responsibility is going to fall on Harrison Ingram. So I know a lot of people want to talk about him offensively, but I think he's just going to be important as a defensive linchpin for this team. couple more for you, Brendan, and we'll get you out of here. We just talked about Harrison Ingram getting all the hype. I really love the additions of Cormac Ryan and, and, and even Paxson Wojcik coming out of the Ivy League out of Brown to come play for the Tar Heels. Am I wrong to say that one or both of those guys will be the most important transfers that Carolina brought in this offseason? No, you're not wrong to say that at all. I think Cormac Ryan will be the most important transfer that North Carolina adds, and it's not because he's going to be the best. He's not going to be a top three scorer. Um, I'm not expecting him to be, but he does the two things that North Carolina needs. He shoots the ball, and he moves the ball, and he doesn't need it in his hands to be an effective player. Um, you know, I, I think, again, Hubert Davis did a really fair and, and perhaps brutally honest self-scout this offseason. He said, I want to get back to playing faster. I want to get back to moving the ball. I want to get back to playing this open shooting offense. And Cormac Ryan, his best, you know, quote-unquote hot spot on the court is in transition running to the right corner. Guess what he's going to be able to do a lot in Carolina's offense this year? Run to the corner in the right side and be able to have those three-point opportunities and then to pass it back if need be. Like, I think he is he's sort of a perfect complementary piece for what Hubert Davis wants. And especially like we've been talking about with R.J. Davis having the ball in his hands, Elliot Cadeau, Harrison Ingram, same thing. To have a guy who's able to be effective without needing to create off the dribble, I think is hugely important. The last thing that I've heard a lot about Cormac Ryan, you know, probably more so than any other new addition North Carolina's had this, this summer, is his competitiveness. He's 25 years old. He's in his last year of college basketball. He is hungry to win. And I, I think that that really goes a long way in terms of setting the tone and holding people accountable. You know, two years ago, Brady Manick was incredibly important. In the middle of the year, he started holding people in that locker room accountable. Last year, I don't necessarily know that that voice from anybody was loud enough. Cormac Ryan, even as a new guy, is going to be one of those voices for North Carolina. And, you know, as we saw two years ago, you need to be able to have accountability to, to get the most out of this roster. I joked about not wanting to talk about some of the Duke stuff that that, that you do for the athletic, but now, but now I do because you do cover uh, both programs very very closely. Um, how did you see the rivalry change at all? Now that we're officially done with the Coach K Roy Williams era of the Duke Carolina rivalry, I think that there's still a lot of hate, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all rivalries. You know, I did a story about this a couple of years ago. All rivalries need a couple of different things. All rivalries need to have geography. Got that. You need to have objects of hate. Uh, North Carolina and Duke are always going to hate each other because of their laundry. And I I don't know that Hubert Davis and John Shire individually engender that much hate quite yet. I don't think that they are, you know, nearly on the level of Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams yet, (laughs) nor should they be. But I still thought it was frosty. I still think that you've got some of that good old-fashioned animosity. And so over time, the thing I'm interested to see is, does either John Shire or Hubert Davis, who I think objectively both you know, are, are nice people, who are good people, who are, you know, they, they, they haven't done or said anything that's really going to aggravate the other side. Like, you know, I, I think I'll be interested to see, can they rise to the level where Duke fans wake up on the morning of that Duke-UNC game and say, I hate Hubert Davis. I don't know that we're there yet, but that's the thing I'm interested to see. That's what the rivalry needs to really hit its top gear. Um, Duke fans especially have always had somebody to hate, UNC fans as well. 
Like you, you really need it to come from the coaches as well. But I still think there's plenty of frostiness. This rivalry is not going anywhere. Uh, you know, unless conference realignment jumps in, and then it's a whole different equation. <laughs> yeah, and, and we we do not want to tackle that road because yours truly will go on a host. Now I'll get you out of here with maybe the hardest question you have to answer. What defines success for Carolina basketball this upcoming season? Obviously, uh, making the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's a non-negotiable. Um, if this roster fails to meet to make the NCAA tournament again, I think at that point we're, we're talking about a pretty severe indication of coaching. Um, and, and then it is a situation again. I don't think that Hubert Davis would lose his job if that happened after this season. But I think certainly he would be entering next year as sort of a. a NCAA tournament or bust sort of season. In terms of success, though, like not bare minimum, to me, this is a second weekend team. Mm -hmm. I am cautiously optimistic, maybe more so than the general college basketball reporter about what North Carolina can be this season. Like, I think offensively, they have the potential to really get back to some of the dominant offenses we've seen from North Carolina the last 10, 15, 20 years. Um, I- I'm expecting that. I really am. I think that all the pieces are there. The shooters are there. You've got an all-American big man. You've got experience. You've got youth. Like, you know, we didn't talk about Jaden High at all, but I think he's a really interesting young guy. Um, so to me, it's making the second weekend of the tournament. I think that would constitute success. I think that if, if Hubert Davis can take this team back there and along the way, you know, maybe you beat Duke. Maybe you make it, you know, you should still be in competition if you don't win the ACC regular season. You should be in that competition all the way up until the last the last game. That last game against Duke should have stakes for North Carolina. So that that's the standard. You know, fairly or not, that's the standard in North Carolina. And even in a season where you've had so much roster upheaval, there has to be tangible growth from last season for the fan base, I think, to be satisfied with the direction things are moving. Um and also for the administration to be satisfied with those things. So if this is another year where, you know, come the first week of March, North Carolina is firmly on the bubble and North Carolina is not in the conference championship and North Carolina is not even in that conversation and they sneak into the NCAA tournament, that's that's not good enough. Um, and I think Hubert Davis knows that. I think all the players in the roster know that. And anything short of that, um, I, I think, would be deemed as, you know, not successful and then, the situation for the future changes pretty starkly. That's the voice of Brennan Marks, Carolina and Duke reporter for The Athletic. Brennan, where can guys, people, or where where can my audience find all of your great work as the basketball season is finally upon us? Yeah, I I put all my stories out. All my stories run at theathletic.com. I'm biased, but if you haven't checked this out yet, I think we have the most uh, collaborative and and best sports writing staff in the entire world. You're going to get all my stuff on Duke, on UNC, the rest of the ACC, but also all of college basketball, the NFL, uh, other professional sports. You know, we, we really do cover every single major sport in the world at this point. So over at The Athletic, I try to engage with folks in the comments of my stories, try to engage with folks on Twitter slash X, whatever you're calling it. Um, but, yeah, I, certainly all my stuff is over at The Athletic and have some cool stuff coming on North Carolina as we get closer to the season. All right, there you go. That's Brennan Marks. Brennan, thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk again uh, later down the basketball season. All right, man? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. There you go, guys. That is Brendan Marks, Carolina and Duke reporter for The Athletic, getting us ready for the upcoming basketball season, which is now officially 
inside five days away. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast, guys. Before I let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit the website. That's HeelToughBlog.com, where we're getting you ready for the start of the college basketball season. Believe it or not, the first game preview will be on the site. A great article evaluating Hubert Davis as he gets ready for his third season on the job uh, will be on the website as well. As for football, back-to-back losses for Mac Brown. We're getting you ready for the game this weekend against Campbell. Anthony has you covered down the stretch as football enters a big month for the future and direction of the program under Mac Brown. As for the podcast, you guys know where to find us, every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any of the any previews, any recaps, any interviews during the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I want to shout out Brendan Marks once again for joining me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Get any sweeter than that!